welcome to the Built for Playmakers podcast. I'm your host, Kelvin Hunt, editor of ChopChat.com. Hope you guys are doing well. Man, I got to apologize to you guys for the multiple weeks delay on this latest episode. Um, took some time off, went to Hawaii, uh, which uh, was kind of like my, my wife and I's anniversary trip that we didn't take back in September and um, had a great time out there. Uh, six hours behind everybody else on the East Coast. So that was an adjustment and and definitely definitely an adjustment uh, getting back. But it was crazy. I had to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning just to watch the, the Georgia Tech game. Uh, but, you know, it was well worth it since our guys put out the W. But uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about the uh, Miami game specifically for the most part. Uh, probably we'll touch on uh, a little bit of Syracuse uh, coming up. But before that, I want to go ahead and thank our sponsor, BetOnline.ag. Uh, basketball is back, and BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure you use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right. But yeah, man. Woo-wee! What a... What a win. What a win that I totally was expecting. Um, I was I was really I was really mad I didn't get the chance to record an episode for that Miami uh game. Uh we planned our Hawaii trip over a year ago. And so um we had it planned before, you know, the games were even announced, the dates and all, all that good stuff. So, you know, it is what it is. And the price that we pay to go to Hawaii, I couldn't really pass up on it. So uh, we we had a good time, and but I was able to still write um, about the game, and you know, going into the game, I, I, I had been saying all along. I mean, even in the preseason, when I wrote the uh, the top three most overrated teams on the schedule, of course, Miami was number one. Then we had NC State number two, and just like the previous year, um, I was right on all three of those teams last year and this year. And I, I had I had no fear of Miami whatsoever. It's in the preseason, it didn't matter when you know, I thought it was a joke they were ranked top fifteen or whatever it was in the preseason. I you know, the only thing that that really gave them in any semblance of, you know, thinking people, you know, or, or fooling people that they would be good is that, you know, they play such a cupcake schedule. Um kinda like UNC this year, you know, I posted on Twitter earlier today. Uh, their first three games were against non-Power 5 teams. And, you know, the only two teams they beat with a winning record is Pittsburgh and Duke. But they're, you know, what, 8-1 and one and top 20. But anyway, um, but yeah, going into, you know, going into the season, I, you know, I, I didn't fear Miami whatsoever. I, you know, I wrote about Mario Cristobal when he was hired. Uh, matter of fact, I posted it again yesterday, just as a, just as a reminder. You can go back and read what I wrote. And um, I mean, you're talking about a 500 coach playing a cupcake schedule that's now under 500. 
I mean, think about that. And, um, you know, going into the game, I felt, you know, of course, you know, I've been a, a supporter of, of the FSU defense this year, unlike most people. And I knew I knew that the defense was going to hold Miami's offense down enough. The, the only question was, was FSU's offense going to get out of its own way and really go to work against a, a Miami defense that a lot of people were touting was was good. And I knew that was a lie. You know, all you had to do was look at who they had played, and I and I as much as I could because you know I couldn't record. I, I was tweeting out stats last week. You know, they were saying, "Oh, they have a good run defense," and blah 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 blah. But they haven't played anybody. You know, I'm mean, like they only you know allowed three point whatever yards per carry it was, and I was like, "Yeah, but against the only offense, only good offense they played was just North Carolina." The running back had he averaged five point seven yards per carry, and you knew they, you know, Mike Norvell was probably going to run Jordan Travis if he had to. So when you got that factored in on top of you know what FSU's been doing, you know, as of late on the ground, I knew I knew they were going to you know they were going to put that thing on Miami. The question was, were they going to you know, avoid turnovers and um? you know, not keep Miami in the game, you know, and here's what I wrote verbatim in the preview. I said, if FSU does not turn the ball over, they'll beat Miami by double digits, but turning the ball over is something that FSU's offense has a propensity to do, which they have. But if you would have said, Hey, FSU will only turn the ball over once. And that turnover will be deep in, you know, Miami's own territory on the one Oh, I'd have, I'd have said FSU would would have won by three touchdowns. I mean, I, I said they were going to win by double digits anyway. Um, but you know, or if you told me that FSU would score touchdowns on their first two possessions, which I wrote, I wrote my three keys to defeating Miami, and I was like, well, the first one was they got to get off to a fast start, right? I said they got to get off to a fast start, and if they do that. You know, Miami has a propensity to lay down. And here's, I'm trying to find what, let me see. Where did I put that at? Here we go. So I said, this is verbatim. I'm reading the article right here. I said, uh, FSU had chances to um, to score on their first two possessions against Wake Forest and Clemson and wasted great field position on both of those offensive possessions to go up two scores. A 10-0 or 14-0 lead against Miami would be huge. And we've seen FSU put teams away early like Boston College and Georgia Tech. I said, we've seen bad teams like Middle Tennessee State put Miami away early. Um, I said, it will be really easy for them to lie down because the expectation is they aren't supposed to win the game. Boom. FSU scores touchdowns on their first two offensive possessions. Um, FSU's defense... um, you know, gives up a, a 49-yard field goal on Miami's first offensive possession, and that was it. It was lights out, cut off the lights, it's over. And and I knew when it was 14-3, I knew it was over. And I think all the Miami fans knew it was over, and the Miami players knew it was over. Crystal Ball knew it was over. 
And I know everybody was like, you know, there were a couple of times where Miami was, it was like fourth and one. Um, and, you know, and people were like, well, crystal ball should, should go for it here. And I, and all I was thinking was, bro, crystal ball is trying to avoid the blowout that's coming. I think, I think I wrote that on Twitter. I'm pretty sure I did. He's trying to prolong this blowout as long as possible. Matter of fact, I think that's why he put Tyler Van Dyke back in the game, even though he knew he was hurt, which was a clown mood move. I mean, that, that was ridiculous. But it was almost like he was like, hey, look, you know, Tyler Van Dyke had made some comments uh, in the preseason that he was guaranteeing that they were going to get revenge for the loss against FSU last year. I wrote it on the site on Chop Chat. And I retweeted it, I think, the other day, or somebody did. So knowing that, you knew Van Dyke was going to try to play if he could. And, you know, and who's and, and who's crystal ball to say if, if the guy says he wants to try to play and that's your best guy, I can see, like, okay, go out there or whatever. But clearly, after he was favoring his arm, he should have not – he should not have put him back in the game. But he did. But I, I, I really believe – Crystal Ball was like trying to, trying to form some type of narrative that he could spin. Like, hey guys, look, you know, we had our guy. He was hurt. Um, You know, of course, if you take a starting quarterback out of the game, that's going to change things. I, I really do believe that he was trying to push that narrative. You know, not not to not to the national media, but to like recruits because they had a lot of recruits there in person, and they got to see that that butt whipping firsthand. And, I, you know, and the more I thought about it, I was like, well, I mean, you know, that's probably something you could sell to a to a kid, you know, uh, Grant. And plus, you know, and Van Dyke hadn't played on like the last game or two. So um, I really I, mean, I can't prove that, but I really believe there there was something to it, you know, but um, but man, really impressive win for FSU. Um, I, and I've, I've been saying it all year, you know, everybody's been talking about defense, 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 you know. Fire Adam Fuller, and I'm like one in like maybe like three or four of the cats. You know, <laughs> we're like, bro, the defense is not the problem. Now look, I know Georgia Tech's offense sucks. Miami's offense sucks. You should you should dominate them, and they did dominate both of those teams. But at the same time, I've been saying the whole year. You know, look, it's the offense has to show up. The offense has to take advantage of opportunities that the defense gives them. When the defense gets a three and out, you have to capitalize. Right. Uh, and so that's why I was so upset about the interception that Jordan Travis threw. A lot of people were like, well, you know, it was like a pun or whatever. And it was. But I don't know if people realize it was second and 12. It wasn't third down. It was second and 12. And it was a poor decision. Um, and it was right after FSU had just gotten a three and out and they had really good field position. And so I, that was what was, you know, not that I thought Miami was going to, you know, come back and score or whatever. But it was just I wanted them to go ahead and. I wanted them to put them away early, like early as possible. And if you guys have watched the um, the, the cinematic recap that FSU does, man, Mike Novell said, he said, <laughs> he said, I want you to make them quit, boy. He said that joint with his soul. Oh, my goodness. I was, I was ready to go put a helmet on right then and there when he said that. But, um, but, but that's also why I was tweeting out um, stats about FSU's defense the other day. Or, or last night. And last night would have been um, Sunday night, I think it was. And, um, man, look, FSU is only is allowing 19.8 points per game, which is number 22 
nationally. They're allowing 4.73 yards per play, which is number 11 nationally. They're allowing third down conversions at 34%, which is, I think, number 37 nationally. Bruh, that's... <laughs> and when you look at the lack of depth and, and the, the amount of games they played without... You know, Fabian Lovett and Jared Verse been hurt and Cooper not been healthy and uh Bethune has been banged up. Um, you know, Malcolm Ray and guys on the D line been banged up. Um bro, that's that's pretty eh, that's 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 good enough to be, you know, a one loss team. You know, so but then too, going going back and looking at it and um you know, talking about FSU's defense and I mean, I'm sorry, excuse me, offense and how how much better, you know, they have been this year compared to last year. Last year, FSU had, through 12 games now, FSU had 42 red zone appearances. I'm sorry, they had 42 red zone uh, appearances, 31 touchdowns in 12 games. This year, they already have 44 red zone trips and 28 touchdowns through nine games. Got to get it done. You know, they're one of the most explosive offenses in the country. Shout out to Ryan Fitzgerald. Came in, made a 41-yard field goal right before the half. Big rivalry game. Looks like he's got his stuff together. Major props to that kid, that young man, I should say. Look, man, everybody, everybody that's an FSU fan wrote that guy off. I was one of them, and and truth be told, if Mike Neville had another option to go to, he would have gone to the other option. You couldn't blame him. He didn't have another option or better option, so he had to stick with him. So props to Ryan Fitzgerald on, you know, finding that confidence again. Because man, listen, I I have been there as a as a as a college athlete. Um, obviously a different sport, but. You know, sometimes, sometimes you can go up there and, you know, you just, you just have no confidence whatsoever. And when you don't have any confidence, it is like the loneliest feeling in the world. And much like a hitter in baseball, field goal kickers out there by himself. And it's up to him to, to get it done, just as it is a hitter in baseball to get it done when he gets in the batter's box. And, you know, unfortunately, as a kicker, you only get one chance. At least in baseball, you know, you get a few pitches to try to do something with. You only get one shot as a kicker. And um, and other than you know, other than that, you're not even really touching the field unless you're kicking off or whatever. So that's that's big time for that guy. And uh, that has really changed um, the offense quite a bit. Um, you know, it changes how you can call the game and, and gives Mike Novell confidence to do different things. But, um, man, how about – FSU just uh, everybody was talking about Miami's defense in the red zone. What a lot of people don't realize is Georgia Tech's defense was just as good, if not better, percentage-wise in the red zone than than Miami's. Um, actually, Georgia Tech's defense is rated higher than Miami going into the FSU game. So <laughs> after that performance, Georgia Tech's defense is going to be rated even higher than Miami's defense. And guess who Miami plays this year, this this week coming up? Georgia Tech and uh, Georgia Tech opened as a one point favorite. Um, so that'll be a, definitely a game to pay attention to this 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 week. And and Jeff Sims just might come back and play. And if Miami loses that game, they will not make a bowl this year because they have Clemson and Pittsburgh left after that. And how sweet would that be? 
Um, but going back to um, special teams, um, after Fitzgerald, um, I tweeted on Alex Mastromano. Man, he only punted three times in the game. All three punts landed inside the 20, one at the 17, one at the three, one at the two. And shout out to uh, the punt coverage team getting down there and, and down in the punts right there uh, inside the five-yard line. I mean, you you could not draw it up any better than that. Um, so I know a lot of times we've, we've given special teams grief um, whenever they screw up, but whenever it's an opportunity uh, to, to praise those guys for doing a great job, then you got to do it. Um, you know, that's that's how I see it. Um, so shout out for them for hustling. And um, and also um, Miami had had a good kickoff return unit. And um, I think FSU held they only had two returns and FSU held them to um, an 18 yards return average uh, on those two kickoff returns. So, I mean, it was a complete domination. All three phases, uh, you know, offense, you know, FSU, they could have scored 70 just like West Virginia did against Kevin Steele's defense when he was at Clemson way back in the day. I mean, absolute domination. And and I said as much. Um, going into um the the bold the bold predictions that I had. Let me see what if I can find what I wrote on here. Here we go. My bold bold prediction was I had FSU will have over six hundred yards of total offense. And they were on their way to doing that. They had 304 yard total yards at halftime. And, you know, FSU basically shut it down in the second half. And um, they were averaging eight and a half yards per play in the first half. And shut it down in the second half and still, and still averaged seven yards per play for the game. Man, that's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. I mean, I saw where Miami's coordinator basically said that FSU was running the same counter play over and over and over. <laughs> they ran counter 32 times out of like 70, 70 plays, I think it was. And they couldn't stop it. And I was like, bro, why would you even put that out there? Like that is that that even shows that you're even more incompetent than them than, you know what everybody already thought. I mean, that's crazy. Here's what I wrote about FSU's offense. I said, and this is from the Miami uh, preview and prediction that I wrote. I said, it's going to be a pick your poison game for Miami. If they load up to stop the run, FSU could gas them in the passing game. If Miami chooses not to bring your safety down in the box, FSU could gash them on the ground. I said, I think, FSU will prefer the latter early, forcing Miami to bring a defender down before hitting them in the head with a passing game. And um, you know, they did that. You know, they tried to establish they tried to establish a run early in the first, you know, they tried to go outside zone on the first play, and Miami, you know, dropped them for a loss of five. And um, you know, then they, you know, I think they ran another play and uh then they hit him over the head with uh the, the pass to Ontario Wilson up seven nothing, boom. And from that point on, it was like Miami knew FSU could beat them over the top. So it really was pick your poison at that point. And it's like, okay, well, if we don't bring a guy down, they can beat us over the over the top. Then it was like, well, uh, 
if we don't bring somebody down, then they're going to run all over us. And man, Trey Benson was an absolute beast in this game. Oh my goodness. The, it's so crazy how much, how different he runs now than he did earlier in the year. And I think it really started, um, in the Louisville game late in that Louisville game, he kind of showed some flashes of physicality that, you know, you kind of thought he had and the speed and the power that he ran with, you know, guys was bouncing off of him and, uh, you know, he was just throwing guys off of him. And then he kind of, you know, he still would start tiptoeing at different times. It was like he wasn't running with confidence, but man, I'm going to tell you in the last two games, that guy is, is running like a different, a different running back. I mean, I don't know if it's, um, if it's more so, and they have run run more outside zone with him, it looks like, and so maybe that's more more fits his style of running. But man, listen, when that guy when that guy hits a hole, Miami did not want to tackle him. As a matter of fact, uh, David Johnson said in that uh, cinematic recap that FSU released, he said as they as, as they were coming off the field, he was like, they don't want to tackle you, and they didn't, bro. They they wanted no parts of that guy. I mean, man, two touchdowns, 128 rushing yards. And also, um, shout out to Lawrence Toa Philly. Man, look, Toa Philly is like 180 pounds. And that kid runs like he's 200 pounds. He towed it one Miami defender like three or four yards uh, for a first down. And um, and I noticed that in, in the Georgia Tech game. I know he fumbled or whatever a couple of times, but that guy runs hard to be as slight a frame as he is. And... And him in the passing game it just ain't even – it's unfair, man. When he hit that when he hit that wheel route, that defense tackle dropped in the coverage. <laughs> oh, my God. What was Kevin still thinking about? Uh, that defensive tackle saw him catch the ball. He just stopped like, bro, why, why am I even out here right now? <laughs> oh, man. And then it was like Toa Philly, like, he runs at full speed. And then he, like – he kind of does like a mini dead leg. And he doesn't even lose speed, it looks like. He kind of just, he moves like a snake almost, like he's snake charming those cats. And it's like, it's so smooth how he like kind of just, just you know, many dead legs those guys. And man, whew, God, that was beautiful to see. Um, shout out to the offensive line. Man, I know um, Miami had like 11 tackles for a loss. And I, I didn't get a chance to go back and count them up to see who they came against. But I'm almost positive that. The majority of those came um, probably when they had some backups in or whatever. Um, so I, I know, you know, like everything else, Miami's trying to pass that. So whatever, um, you know, they still have starters in whenever, um, you know, FSU had the, the, the second or third strings in. You know, Miami out there talking smack to C.J. Campbell as a walk-on. C.J. Campbell gets the first down on the run, and, and the Miami guy is talking junk to him, you know, 20 yards out of bounds. But whenever whenever Trey Benson was running over, running over him, they, you know they won't they won't say anything. And it's so crazy too, when you think about when you think about where Miami is as a player. Oh my goodness, it it looks so reminiscent of of how FSU looked, um, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, you had guys that you know would give up a thirty yard play and make a tackle and then get up and start flexing or, you know get beat on a play, the pass will be incomplete, but they got torched and they would get up and do the, you know, no catch, no fly zone motion. Um, you know, just me, 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 me. And that's all you see on Miami's team. You know, just, they don't, they don't have a team. And I know a lot of people were like, Oh, they don't have talent. Look, they, they have more talent on paper, on paper. Um, 
than FSU. Now, I said it. I said it um, on Twitter not long ago. You know, somebody was like, you know, Miami has a better a better team. I, I think it was Bud Illett. He was like, they have a better team than FSU. This is like two or three weeks ago, and then even like the week of the game, he was like, they have a better defense than FSU, and I was like, you you crazy? Like, brother, what games are we watching? I mean, it's one thing to have talent on paper. I mean, dang, FSU had talent on paper in 2018, 19, and 20. But if the talent isn't being coordinated, if the talent doesn't believe in the coaches, if the talent isn't putting in the work at practice, it's not going to translate in the game. And that's all you've been seeing from Miami all year long. You know, they are poorly coordinated. The coaches have no idea how to use their players. Look, Will Mallory's a, a very good tight end. Matter of fact, I was like, that is like the only place where they have an advantage. If you say, hey, um, you know, would Mallory play here over FSU tight ends? I, I would be like, yes. And he was a non-factor in the game. It's crazy. And so... I know this is probably this probably you know I should be talking more about FSU, but it's really it's really more about kind of where FSU is compared to Miami since this is the game we're kind of discussing. And look, I said on Twitter, there is nothing on Miami's roster that scares me. They don't have a quarterback. I mean, they're probably going to lose one or one or two of those guys to the transfer portal. Jacuri, uh Brown. Does not scare me at all. They're not going to develop him. If you think uh, Rashada, the the guy they have committed, is a dude. I mean, he may be talented, but we've seen what Mario Cristobal does to talented quarterbacks. I mean, look at what he did to TVD this year. Granted, I, I thought TVD was a little bit overrated uh, going going uh, out of last year. I said I said after after the regular season last year, I said TVD. Well, number one, he had a very good coordinator in Rhett Lashley. But also, you know, teams had no film on him. You know, they they didn't have tendencies and, and things like that. But, you know, they had they had um all off season to kind of watch film and, and see what he did well and you know, where he struggled at and had had time to game plan for him. I mean, you couple that with him going into a new offense, knowing that all they want to do is run the ball. Uh, you know, I knew I said then there was gonna be some aggression for sure. And, you know, that's definitely what happened. But when you look at the wide outs and skill players, they can't run the ball. They don't have any running backs. Uh, they don't have, uh, you know, any wide receivers. Defensively, you know, they got a couple guys on the D-line. But, again, Kevin Kevin Steele was awful. Nobody wanted to hire him. That's why Miami got him. They're in trouble, man. I don't care if they I don't care if they sign every guy that they have committed right now. They still going to be terrible next year. Number one, they're going to be really young. Number two, they better hope all of those guys that suck and don't want to buy into whatever they're trying to build over there. Hope they leave the program because if they don't, they're going to just keep tainting the new guys that come in there. We we saw that with FSU. It, you know, you 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 couldn't get rid of all the cancer at one time. 
Um, and, and even if you have one or two guys in there that, that hold over and, and don't want to buy in, that is going to impact that team. And you couple that with um, no quarterback or an inexperienced quarterback and the lack of ability of, of player development, lack of ability to game plan, lack of ability to adjust. Bro, Miami doesn't scare me at all. Not at all. Not at all. And it's going to be real funny to see how they finish out the season. If they lose the next three games, it'd be real interesting to see if if they're able to hold on to. Um, I, I'm sure they hold on to the majority of those guys, but I wouldn't be surprised if you know a couple of them trickle out here or there, depending on how they finish the next three games. So, anyway. Enough of my, about Miami, you know, those fans or, you know, they talked all off season about how they were going to do this and do that. And, you know, they're even more delusional now. And that's, that's probably why I hate Miami more than I do Florida. Like I despise Miami. Like, like I want to punch somebody in the throat type, you know, when you talk to, to a Miami fan, man, I mean, there, there are very few and far between that that are rational and, and, and talk with, with sense. I mean, there's a couple, there's a couple, but for the most part, you're just like, Oh my God, like how to, where did you come from? Like this, you don't even think with any type of logic whatsoever, but man, what a win, what a win, man. Where does FSU go from here? Sitting at six and three with a real, real opportunity to win nine games. And then even ten games in a bowl because you know, you know they made a they became bowl eligible with that win. And um, man, what would that do for this program? What would it do if Jordan Travis came back next year? Which I'm just gonna say it right now, I believe he comes back. I don't have any inside information. But just looking at the landscape of things and the way Mike Novell has been able to entice guys that people thought were going to go pro to come back. Think about it. Tamari and Terry, Marvin Wilson. Although that didn't work out how we wanted to, but um, Robert Cooper came back this year. Fabian Lovett came back this year. I mean, yeah. I can see it because I just don't see where, I mean, Jordan Travis has had an amazing year. He's far surpassed whatever level I thought he could reach. But at the same time, I just don't see an NFL team saying, Hey, we want to take him in like the third or fourth round. And I think he can probably make enough, enough money in NIL. If he comes back next year, you got a really favorable schedule. You got a ton of weapons. The offensive line is going to be even better. He's probably he he probably could improve his stock, you know, maybe by a round or so, maybe if he came back. So, just um, just something to think about there. Um, you know, he may go pro. I just man, I don't know. I just don't see. I just don't see an NFL team taking the chance on him um, with. 
with uh, his his injury history. Granted, he's you know, he's been able to, to stay healthy for the most part this year, aside from the, getting banged up at Louisville. But also, I think teams will look at um, how he's played against some of the the better defenses, and he's not played terribly. But you got to think um, if if he were going up against an NFL defense, then that definitely would would limit him and he wouldn't be able to use his legs which he hasn't you know he's he's done a good job of just staying in the pocket this year and letting things develop so shout out to him for that development but i don't know man i just see i just see him coming back i just i know this this coaching staff has they usually have a a really good plan uh uh as far as like planning for the future a prime example would be so um it, it came out um Today, I think it was that um, Antavius Woody is making the change from offensive lineman to defensive tackle. And if you follow me on Twitter, whenever he committed, I said at the time I liked him better as a def- defensive tackle than I did offensive lineman. And and so when you think about it, you say, OK, you're going to lose Fabian Lovett. You're going to lose Robert Cooper. Um, and then you, you know, you, we didn't make the top five for. Um, my God, the defensive tackle that's probably going to go to uh, Jordan Hall that's probably going to go to Georgia. And say, so like, okay, so if we miss on Jordan Hall, you know, you know, we got, you know, we got a guy or two uh, in this recruiting class. But when you look at it, you got um, Tia Fossey, who's redshirting this year. And then if you add Woody to the mix, you know, Woody and Tiafasi will have this whole year and this whole off se- off season to um, under their belt, so to speak. So you know those guys realistically could contribute next year more so than a Jordan Hall probably would, even though you know he's a you know, a really highly rated guy. And so just foresight, having foresight like that, and thinking ahead, like, hey, well, if this doesn't work out, then we can just do this and probably be even better next year than we would have otherwise. You know, and then, and then just when it comes to game planning in general, you know, going back to talking about Miami, not being able to, but man, this staff is, they're able to, 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 to evaluate, put guys in the, in the, in the proper positions. They're able to look at film and look at weaknesses of opposing teams and, and and find ways to attack them over and over and over, and and really it's all about just the times FSU has has not won this year. His FSU has beaten themselves by not not executing for the most part. I mean, there's been a couple of plays where you could say, well, you know, I, I don't like that play call or whatever. But for the most part, it's lack of execution, turnovers, drop passes, just very 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 small things. And that has been the difference between FSU being six and three, and eight and one, or possibly nine and zero. A few turnovers, a couple drop passes. That is, that is really the difference. FSU is really close, really, really close to being. I mean, our you know, I would take them over North Carolina right now. North Carolina's number 17, but I would take them over North Carolina right now. Even though North Carolina has a really good def- offense, their defense is trizzish. And I, I like our guys enough to where we would get enough stops, and they definitely couldn't stop us. So I would say FSU's definitely a top 15-ish type team with, when healthy, could go toe-to-toe with 
most of the most of the teams in the top fifteen or so, and 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 beat them probably. Um, aside from a couple, you know, obviously you got your Georgias and things like that, but FSU is a good team, man. Um, right now, right now they're just missing, they're just missing the depth that you need to be an elite team. Um, you know, that's, that was really one of the main differences between, uh, FSU's 2013 team and everybody else. Um, even, even the, even the backups could play. And right now, whenever FSU starters at some key positions go out of the game, you know, there's a there's a, a pretty drastic fall off. You saw that whenever they put the second team in um, against Miami the other night, you know, Miami was able to mount a drive or whatever. And then FSU put the starters in and put the clamps on real quick. And how about, oh, I got to mention this. How about my tackle from Jamie Robinson? Oh, my goodness, bro. When he when he when he just threw my dude down and just walked off. Just walked off. I just put my hand over my mouth. It's like, oh, man, that was that was so sick. Like you couldn't have planned that even better. And the way and, he, and, and for him to just do that in the moment, like just get off me, homie, and just walk off. Like, bro, that was sick. That was so sick. But yeah, so they put the starters in and um, got those guys on out of there, man. Miami still has not scored a Russian touchdown against a power five team this year. That's how, that's how bad they are. That's how bad their running game is. Wow. Crazy. Anyway, man, you know, I'm sure uh, I I haven't even had a chance to listen to uh, some of the podcasts that I generally listen to. Uh, So I'm probably regurgitating some things that people have, have already said. Um, but I do want to um, talk about the Syracuse, Syracuse game here um, just for a second. And I promise I am going to try to record uh, a preview of Syracuse this week. Um, you know, if I can find time. And like I said, got a, life, got a lot of stuff going on just work-wise and, and, and life-wise. So um, on top of trying to, to run uh, a website and get good, good content out there and finding time to record is just, it's just hard for me. But Going to try to do that, but uh, looking at Syracuse, man, they're really banged up. And if you've followed me on Twitter, I've said all year long that I expect them by the time uh, FSU rolls up to uh, upstate New York for, for them to be pretty banged up. You know, they had a um, a stretch where they had to play uh, Notre Dame, Clemson, NC State, and Pittsburgh before – playing FSU without a bye week. And, you know, we've seen, you know, they've been without the quarterback. He got hurt. Um, they've lost, uh, I think, a couple of defensive uh, players, a cornerback and a defensive tackle, I think it is. And, um, you know, like FSU, they have less talent than FSU. So whenever they lose starters, then there's even a more of a steep drop-off and their offense has really suffered. Um, over the last few weeks without Schrader. And even when Schrader was in there, uh, they still were not really great. You know, um, you know, they have a real simple offense. I said this whenever, whenever Schrader was still, um, healthy, it's a combination of Slater, uh, Schrader, excuse me, running, running, using his legs. Gadsden is like the long wide out that they have. And then they have, uh, Tucker, 
the running back who they use a lot uh, in the passing game. You know, those are the three. That's the three headed monster. If you if you take two of those three away, you you're gonna smoke those guys. And and right now with the injuries they have on on defense, they can't stop the run at all. Um, I put a tweet out earlier tonight. Uh, FSU and Pittsburgh um, have allowed about the same amount of tackles for a loss on the season. Well, guess what? Against Syracuse, um, Pittsburgh only allowed three tackles for a loss and had over 150 rushing yards. So, look, as long as, again, as long as the FSU offense shows up, they are going to take care of business against Syracuse. I just that's just that's just how the, this team has been all year. And with the FSU, if FSU offense shows up and scores thirty points, they will beat almost every team on the schedule. Almost, I almost like I would say aside from Wake Forest because their offense, well, whenever they whenever they were playing like Wake Forest usually does. Um, you know, you score 30 points, you're going to beat most of the teams on the schedule. And I don't know if Syracuse has enough offensive firepower to to do that. So take care of business against Syracuse. And obviously you got Louisiana after that. That's the dub. And then like last like last year, uh, last year it came down to beating Florida to, to become bowl eligible. This year, it could come down to beating Florida to uh, get to the epic nine-win season that, well, it's for a chance to win ten games for the first time since 2016 when FSU defeated Michigan in the Orange Bowl. Dalvin Cook ran all over Jim Harbaugh and those guys. Man, that sure would be great. To finish the season like that, and especially beating Florida, and if Miami continues to implode to be state champs, going for the first time since what 2016, put you in a opportunity to to close strong on the recruiting trail. Which I don't think they have too many high school targets left. They got a few, probably three or four, but. Not only that, but it would put you probably in a better prime position to get a higher caliber player from the transfer portal, which FSU has has nailed the last two or three recruiting cycles. So, and if Jordan Travis comes back, then this program this program is going to be rolling, guys. It's um that would give AJ Duffy another another year to to kind of. You know, get his bearings, probably play a little bit. Um, and then not only that, um, you have a guy who I think could be really, really good in 2024 and uh, Luke Crumlinhawk. Um, if Jordan Travis, if they can get Jordan Travis to come in and, and remain for next season, that kind of would eliminate that gap that you may have where you would have a drop off at quarterback. Um, if Jordan Travis stays, then you know when he le- when he left after twenty three, then twenty four you you should have a guy in AJ Duffy or whomever to to play at a, a pretty high level, and and then not only that, that would give 
Crumlin Hawk an opportunity to to possibly redshirt or if he's good enough to compete as a as a a, red, uh, a freshman. Um, and that has really been the difference between uh, Clemson and everybody else in the ACC. Dabo Sweeney um, did not miss at quarterback for you know three or four recruiting cycles. You know, Taj Boyd at the time he was there was like their the best quarterback Clemson had ever had. And then they followed Boyd with Deshaun Watson, who was better than Boyd. And then after Watson, they followed him with uh, Lawrence. I know they had Kelly Bryant for one year, but, you know, Lawrence came in there. And so they had their best three quarterbacks in Clemson's history in back-to-back-to-back years. And that's really what has solidified them, um, you know, over the last decade or so. And you see that they don't have that quarterback play this year with DJ. You see, you see what Clemson has looked like. You know, yeah, I mean, they were undefeated until Notre Dame smoked them this past week, but you see the importance of that quarterback play. And so, FSU is going to be a good spot, man. If Jordan Travis comes back next year, they can compete for the ACC. They will be in a prime position to 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 stay competing at a high level for years to come. Um, if that happens, I really believe that. So, um, man, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good spot to be in. Uh, we need these guys to finish strong. Um, sounds like they had a good practice on Sunday, so I don't expect them to, to go into the Syracuse game with any type of, um, hangover effect from beating Miami. I mean, I think that, you know, it wasn't like they won at the last minute or anything. I mean, that game was over in the first quarter. So, you know, they expected to win that game. I think they will expect to to beat Syracuse. I think they opened as six and a half point favorites. Uh, it'll be a night game, eight o'clock. So I'm sure I'm sure Syracuse will have some fans there. So that should help them avoid uh, a noon hangover, so to speak, if the game was earlier in the day. Um, great opportunity to go up there and um, and get another win and um, keep this program going in the right direction. But. Uh, with that said, guys, um, I appreciate you um, uh, staying with me. Uh, and again, I apologize for taking so long to get this episode out. But um, always appreciate all the support. Those of you guys that asked if I was still recording and all that good stuff, that really gave me some motivation to get in here um, and get this episode done. So um, if you haven't had a chance to um, rate us on um, the platform that you listen on, we would appreciate um, five star reviews. And um, we appreciate all of you that share our content and uh, episodes on social media. Um, so with that said, um, again, make sure you check out betterline.ag. And um, until next time, go notes. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. 
Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.